We are going to be back in the book of Hebrews, uh, a very familiar chapter to us, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to cover verses 1 through 22. So if you would, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. I say Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not taste or see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Verse seven, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land promised as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, and even when she was past the age, since she con, uh, considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things that had promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, by faith, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph bowing in worship over his head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of Exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, your word is good. It declares the glories of who you are. And Lord, we're just right now, Lord, I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where the author says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, 
a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Lord, Your Word guides and directs us. And Lord, right now it seems like there is a, a time for war that is going on. And we cry out for a time of peace. Again, we pray for, for wisdom. We pray for an extra measure of grace and strength and stamina for those refugees that are fleeing Ukraine right now. Lord, You are not... Um, you are not uninformed of what it looks like because you sent your son who stepped out of heaven to be a sojourner on this earth to live and to walk in our place. And you know exactly what they are going through. So I pray that you would again uh, bring grace and peace to their souls through the gospel, through your word, through your spirit, and through the community of churches that are receiving them in all these different countries. Lord, we know that um, you've given us a whole book, First and Second Peter, that talks about being strangers and aliens and sojourners in this world. So may those people turn to you through your word, empowered by your spirit. But we also pray for those that are, are in Russia, that are suffering, that are the everyday people that are feeling the, uh, the pain of another man's sin. They're feeling the effects of that. May, may your gospel just flourish in Russia right now. We know throughout Scripture where there's persecution, your message of the good news of the Gospel flourishes. So we pray, pray for a flourishing of the Gospel in Ukraine, in Russia, in Europe, but also right here in the United States and in our hearts. Lord, You are good. You are the One who raises up kingdoms. You are the One who tears down kingdoms. And so Lord, while we have a, a breath on this earth, may we be praying for the Kingdom of God to come just as Abraham looked forward to a greater kingdom. He got his eyes off this world and on to the next, and he did that through faith. Lord, we have the same faith, and maybe I say we even have a greater faith because we have a greater revelation in the New Testament through Christ. They were looking towards Christ, and we know and see Christ because we walk with Him. We thank You for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> um, almost every decision, big or small, that we make in life, all of us, is made by faith. Is made by faith at some level, whether in something or in someone. Uh, let me share how faith has led me this morning. And just think about you, see if you can relate to this. Um, typically on the weekdays and on Sunday, I wake up before the, the sun comes up. So I get up, it's dark in my house. So I walk into the bathroom and I hit the light switch. And by faith, I believe that what? When I hit the light switch, what's going to happen? Light is going to come on, right? And then after that, I go and uh, I like to cook eggs and bacon on the weekends. And so um, uh, I, I go to the refrigerator and by faith, I believe that the fridge kept the eggs and the bacon cool and from spoiling, right? And then I take out the eggs and I crack the eggs. And by faith, I believe that those eggs came from chickens and not snakes, right? Every time I say that or write that, I get the shivers. Anyone else with me? But by faith, we believe that when the carton says, hey, eggs, 
chicken, we think like, they, they came from chickens, right? These eggs. By faith, we get in our cars, and I believe when I hit the gas pedal, it's going to make the car go, and when I hit the brakes, it's going to make the car stop. When I come to a traffic light, like if it's green for me, uh, I know I can go, and by faith, when I, when I see a car coming, and I know they have a red light, by faith, I believe what? They're going to stop. By faith, you came here this morning expecting uh, a worship gathering to encounter the living God. And when we stop to think about it, we see that faith informs every single one of our decisions, whether small or whether big. All of our lives are built on faith decisions. From again, the basic decisions to the complex, weightier decisions of life. Our life is built on faith in some things and or someone. And today we come to one of the most famous passages in the book of Hebrews, and, and maybe we say even all of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we know this is a, this is a, a chapter about faith. It's, it's titled some of you the heroes of the faith or the hall of faith. And it's a great chapter. But really to understand this chapter, we have to, as we've been going through the book of uh, Hebrews, we have to understand it in its context. Because a lot of times this passage gets taken out of its context and just preached as an isolated chapter and it misses really the weight behind what the author of Hebrews is trying to get across. Yes, it's about faith, but it's about a particular kind of faith. It's about a faith that endures. It's about a faith that perseveres. You see, the, the Hebrews chapter 11 is bookend by a couple other verses. Uh, Hebrews 10, 36 and 39 that talk about don't shrink back. Remember, the author of Hebrews is writing to this young Christian uh, or people in uh, probably in the Rome era, uh, Rome, uh, Rome area. They just come to faith out of Judaism and they're being persecuted big time. So they're thinking, they're having a, a desire to say, like, man, if we just go back to the old covenant, if we just go back to the old ways, then this persecution will stop. Well, the author of Hebrews says, no, don't do that. Because as we've been seeing, that Jesus is better in every way. Even though you're going through persecution, don't go back to an old covenant that is obsolete, but stick with the better mediator, Jesus. Stick with the better Savior, Jesus. Sit with the better sacrifice, Jesus. Stick with the better covenant, the new covenant, which is mediated by Jesus. This is what the context is. So the context is wrapped around. Uh, Hebrews chapter 36 and, and, and 39 said, don't shrink back, but endure persevere through this persecution. And then in Hebrews 12, 1, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks, again, it tells them to let us run the, the, the race with endurance, with perseverance. So we see that Hebrews 11, right in the midst of these two calls of verses that talk about persevering and enduring, is like, well, how? By faith. So this kind of faith is a, is a particular faith. It's a persevering faith. It's an enduring faith. And that's what we see all the, all the different examples in Hebrews 11. We look and see people who endured, who persevered by faith. By faith, they persevered in a better Savior, a better mediator, a better covenant found in Jesus and His promises. And not only is this the call to them, but it's also the call to us this morning. That our faith needs to be a persevering faith and an enduring faith because we live in a Genesis 3 world. How else are we supposed to walk through this world? COVID, pre-COVID, however, wherever we're at in that spectrum. 
How else are we to walk in a time of war? How else are we to walk when we look at the, 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 our, our social fabric deteriorating before our eyes? How are we as Christians supposed to engage? How are we supposed to walk? We're supposed to endure through faith. We're called to persevere through faith. So Hebrews 11 is just as much for us this morning as it was to the original audience back then. So first we see persevering faith from the antediluvians. You're like, anti-what? Right? That just means pre-flood. We're going to look at three examples from those before the flood. We're going to look at Abel, we're going to look at Enoch, and we're going to look at Noah. Verse 1 of Hebrews. Now, faith is the assurance. You want to underline, circle that word. Some of your Bibles might say confidence. Some of your Bibles might say foundation. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, things in the future, and the conviction. You're going to want to circle that word, or your word might, your Bible might say assurance of things not seen. We, we know that Hebrews 11 is about faith because it's used some 20 plus times in this chapter. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's a definition of what faith is. And it's a big, it's a broad, it's a general definition. But so let's first, let's say what biblical faith is not. Biblical faith is not wishful thinking. It's not a a shot in the dark. Uh, It's not, um, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and hope this is going to happen. Biblical faith is not the opposite of reason or knowledge. Uh, Biblical faith is not irrational such as thinking like the Colorado Rockies will win the World Series this year. That's an irrational thought. A more rational thought is the Colorado Avalanche will win the Stanley Cup. Amen? All right. Biblical faith is not blind. It's not trusting in things where there are no facts. No, biblical faith is a deep and wide topic. And the definition here is not exhaustive, but for our context, let me kind of put some meat to it. Uh, this is what biblical faith is. It's an insurance, assurance and convictions of things to come to pass in the future, things that are hoped for because of the realities of what Jesus has done in the past and what he will do in the future, fulfilled in the future, the things unseen. That's what biblical faith is. I love the Bible because in, 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 in particular in Hebrews, because they use words sometimes to define the same thing. And the author of Hebrews uses the same word for assurance here. Now, faith is the assurance. He uses the same word to define who Jesus is in Hebrews 1.3. In Hebrews 1.3, it says this, as God, Jesus is God's exact representation. And what he's saying is here, we can be assured of our faith because our faith is in Jesus who is the exact representation of of God. That's why we can be assured. That's why we can have confidence in the things unseen. Our confidence and our assurance focuses on the object of our faith or the substance of our faith, Jesus, the one who is better. The one who is the exact imprint of the objective reality of God. That's why we are assured. That's why we are confident. That's why we can persevere in our faith. Not because of faith in and of itself, but because of the object or the substance of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, the exact representation of God. One said this, you can define faith as this, faith is trusting what God has promised, future hope, but has not yet given, unseen. Let me just kind of really break it down for us practically. What does that mean? What does it look like in our life this morning, today? It looks like this. If you have 
repent of your sins and trusted in Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, we are assured that our sins are forgiven and we have a confidence that one day in the future we will be resurrected to glory, things unseen, just as He was resurrected to glory. This is what biblical faith is. So let's dive in even more to see what it looks like as the author leads us through biblical persevering faith. First we see persevering faith is, comes from the beginning. We got to start at the beginning. We got to start at creation. That's where faith begins for us. Look at verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Again, when we talk about faith, we got to start at the very beginning. We got to start with creation. We understand that no one was present when God created this world. Remember Job, when he talked to Job, where were you, Job, when I created the foundations of the world? He was pointing out that there was God, and then there was God. It was just God and nothing else around him. In the beginning, God. And then he created. And he created how? By speaking creation into existence. He created by his word. He created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo is what the word that we use. And we believe that by His words, He spoke. And our wonderful universe and our earth and creation came into existence. You see, we at the crossing, Christians, they have a biblical worldview. We reject the Big Bang Theory. We, we, we reject that matter was the thing that was eternal. No, God was the thing that was eternal. Matter was created by God. We reject the theory of evolution. These are the theories we reject because they didn't make our planet flourishing. That would be irrational faith. In fact, one wrote a book and says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, to believe in evolution. That's irrational. How is it irrational? How can you get life out of something that has no life? That's irrational. So therefore, we reject these theories maybe summed up this way, kind of funny, it has a little ring to it, but we reject goo became you through the zoo, right? We reject that. We believe by faith that God created this world out of nothing by His Word. And we can observe it. We can see it. We can hear it. We can taste it. We can smell it. Right? We can listen to it. We can feel it. This world has structure has order, has beauty, has design. Now we know that the Bible is not a science book. But when it talks about science, it's right on 100% of the time, such as astronomy. And you know me, if you've been around the crossing, we love creation passions. We love to look at the observable world and, and show God's design and how He created it. Let me just give you some examples how God's Word proves to be true, such as in astronomy. In Isaiah 40... Verse 22, the, Isaiah says that the, the earth was round. And this is thousands upon thousands of years before we sent up some telescopes to look to see actually if the earth was round. And it is. It's a sphere. There's some crazy ideas back in Isaiah's time of what the earth was back then. Some even believed it to be flat, right? But Isaiah 40:22 again, thousands of years said the earth was circular. The Bible says there's when it looks at the stars in the universe, there's innumerable amount of stars in there. Did you know there was a time in history where people just thought there were 6,000 stars? 
And then Galileo kind of invented the telescope. And he says, well, there's actually a couple more, more stars out there, right? A couple more. Today, the Milky Way has been found to contain, on a low end, 100 billion stars, the galaxy that we're in, or on a high end, 400 billion stars. Just a couple more than 6,000. Innumerable, right? And not only just the stars in our Milky Way galaxy that contains those stars, but in our galaxies, do you know how many galaxies they think there are now? Two trillion galaxies. Innumerable stars. It's incredible God's design. You see, our faith is not a blind faith, but it's in the faith of the one who spoke and this universe came into existence. Again, we see design, we see structure, we see order. I love how one put it, one said this way, the man and woman of faith will always be ahead of the man or woman of science. Amen? Because we begin, again, with the Creator. That's who we have faith in. Now we go to the people, the persevering faith of Abel. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, we went through Genesis a couple years ago, so we should all be familiar with Cain and Abel. And the question always comes up with Cain and Abel. What, what's the question that always comes up? Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice over Cain's sacrifice? And man, theologians and people take all this time and all, write all these books to come up with their theories where all we have to do is read Hebrews chapter 4 because he tells us why. Faith was the answer and the reason why God accepted Abel's faith over Cain. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. Cain did not. We get a little bit of hint in this in Genesis chapter 4, where Genesis gives us a little bit more detail or insight, where it says that Cain just brought an offering from the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock to the Lord. It's not recorded here in Scripture, but God probably had a conversation with Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve and said, hey, this is how, if you're going to bring a sacrifice to me, this is how you bring it. You bring me your best. You bring me your firstborn. Well, Abel heeded that wisdom and Cain did not. Therefore, by faith, Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice and he received it. And through that faith, through Abel's faith, God commended him as righteous. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. But you start to see the biblical pattern of salvation is that people are saved through faith in God. We'll see that. We'll touch on that again here with Noah and Abraham. But then look at how the author ends with Abel, this interesting phrase. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let me just sum this up by how Martin Luther summed up this verse. He said, Abel, when he actually was alive, could not teach even his only brother by his faith and example. But now that he is dead, his faith teaches the whole world. He is more alive than ever. Abel's legacy of faith, of trusting in God, now filters down to us. How are we to believe? How are we to approach God? In faith. Abel teaches us that whatever the Lord asks us to do, that we do it in faith, even if it's at the cost of a different than our own family. Even, in other words, even if 
our own family member doesn't believe, we still believe. Persevering faith of Enoch, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, that he was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken up, uh, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now next to Enoch, or next to Melchizedek, Enoch might be the most mysterious man in all the Bible, right? There's not much we know about him. We know a little bit about him in Genesis. We know a little bit about him here in Hebrews, and we know a little bit about him in Jude, verse 14. But here we see two things that we know about Enoch. One, we know that Enoch didn't die. He was one of a couple men that did not die, but the, the Lord took up. The other was Elijah. And the reason why he took him up, because he pleased God. That was the other thing we see, that, that Enoch pleased God. When we look at Genesis account, it's, in the, it's an account of, of genealogy in chapter 5 of Genesis. And, 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 and with Enoch, it has these two phrases. It says that Enoch walked with God. And Enoch walked with God. The reason why that's important, because it shows us that Enoch, rather than the rest of the world, had an intimate relationship with God. That Enoch walked with God, because all those others in the genealogy said this. He was born, he had some kids, and he died. Born, had some kids, and died. Born, had some kids, and died. When it gets to Enoch, and Enoch walked with God. And Enoch walked with God. So it's highlighting Enoch's relationship with God the Father. By faith, Enoch was taken up. So we see in verse 6, that isn't that a description of faith? Walking with God? Look at verse 6. Verse, uh, verse 6 of Hebrews 11. And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Here it says that because Enoch walked with God, it pleased God. That's what faith is. Faith is walking with God. When you walk with God, you please God. So Enoch is teaching us a truth about faith that is true for every believer. What does it look like to please God? It means to walk with Him, to, to believe in Him, to trust Him, to have faith in Him. And not only in Him, but in His promises. Look at it, it says, believing that He exists and that He is faithful to fulfill His promises. He, he's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Those are the two characteristics of what faith looks like, what it means to walk with God, that you believe that He exists and He is a rewarder of those. And when we see this, we see what the reward is in verses 2, 4, and 5. We see that the Lord gives commendation, reward, a good testimony to the people who did. Abel, Enoch, and they gives them this reward because they were faith, because of their faith. So if you and I want to be commended by God, we believe and walk by faith in the Lord. To the contrast, the contrast in Hebrews, those who are not commended, but who are condemned, those who are condemned by the Lord, those are the ones who walk in unbelief. Hebrews 3.19 says, the people of old were unable to enter because of their unbelief. So Enoch teaches us about how to persevere in faith by walking with God. Lastly, Noah in those before the fall. Verse 7. By faith Noah being warned of God coming events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Again, most of us know Noah's story. It's found in Genesis 6 through 9. Again, we went through that when we went through Genesis. And here we see that God commands Noah to build an ark to save his family because he's going to judge the whole world of their wickedness. 
As you guys recall in Genesis chapter 6, when God looks at the world, He is grieved at the world. He sees man's heart and He says there's evil intentions only all day long. Every thought of man's intentions is wickedness, God says. So therefore, He says, I'm going to judge it. But, but there's this family led by Noah. And he's a righteous man. He, as you see here, what does it say? He walked with God, Genesis 6, 9 said. And so he saves Noah in this ark. And this is what's key. Because Noah obeys God's word to build an ark, regardless of how crazy it sounded, right? I mean, it'd be the same thing as us. It's like if God came to you and says, I want you to build an ocean liner in the middle of Kansas. You're like, that doesn't make sense. But we still obey. As crazy as it sounds, Noah trusted God at his words and he builds an ark. And what is the reward? He becomes an heir of righteousness because of his faith. His faith got him the inheritance of righteousness. Notice that. What is an inheritance? It's something that's given to you. It's not something that is earned. Inheritance is a gift of grace. And how did Noah receive this inheritance, this gift of grace? He received it by faith. And now we're going to see again the pattern of, the, of salvation. That salvation, if you want to become considered righteous, it comes through the grace of God through faith in God. This is what we see. And up to that point, what were they believing in? They were believing in God's promise. What was God's promise? It was Genesis 3.15. That the Lord would send a serpent crusher to save His people. That's what Noah believed in. That's what Enoch believed in. That's what Cain believed in. That was the promise it was faith that looked forward to a future Messiah. Now quickly, let me come, uh, pick out a couple of practical applications from this section. First, faith does not begin with us. Faith does not begin with you and me because we have a need or because we have a want. Faith begins with God and His Word to all of us. You see, God speaks through creation. God spoke uh, to Abel, to Enoch, to Noah. And He speaks to us today through His Word, written Word, and through the living Word, Jesus. Faith begins with God informing us who He is and, His re- and how He is a rewarder. When God's Word, when we hear God's Word, we have to then respond by faith. Romans 10.9 Faith comes through what? Hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The, wor- the word there for word for Christ is not logos, which is the general word. It's rhema. It's a specific word about Jesus. To be considered righteous, you have to understand a, cons- a specific word about Jesus. That He exists and that He's a rewarder of that. That He is God of flesh that came down, who lived the perfect life in your place and my place. That died on the cross to make payment for your sin and my sin. Those are the things that we have to understand and know if we want to be considered righteous. That's the thing that we have to have faith in. Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Faith begins, first and foremost, with God and His Word, and then we respond to that Word. Secondly, with Noah specifically, but I could also argue with Abel and Enoch, that they were on an island of faith. In other words, that the whole world around them was was believing in a different faith and running after a different faith, but Enoch and Abel and Noah clung to the faith of the Lord that revealed Himself. 
They had to listen and obey and persevere in faith because, again, the whole world around them was walking to a different faith drum. They were walking away from God. They were not walking with God. Some say it took Noah 120 years to build an ark. Some say it's 50 to 75 years to build an ark. Either way, just think how long it takes for Noah to build that ark. And how long uh, can you imagine being ridiculed, being mocked, being persecuted because of your belief? Oh, you got a word from the Lord, Noah? You're building a boat in the middle of a desert. There's no water anywhere around here. But hey, Noah, you do you, Noah, right? You do you. Can you imagine for that kind of mockery or persecution for 50, 75, or 120 years? But we live in a very parallel world. Noah's culture, our culture today. Because either you're walking with God or you're not walking with God, right? And we have to persevere in faith as we obey God's Word. As He revealed Himself to us in His Word, just as Noah did. And our world, like Noah's world, is getting more hostile each day toward the Lord, toward His Word, and towards His view on life. Towards our worldview. Is it not? Is our not get, world getting more hostile towards Christianity? Just go ask some Canadian pastors about that right now. The question is for us then, are you and is your faith able to persevere? Is it going to be able to stand firm like Noah's? As maybe some in your family, maybe your friends, maybe some of your co-workers, maybe some of the teachers you have in school, maybe the, the news outlets and even our politicians challenge and even reject God's Word. Hence His and our lifestyle. Just think again of the social agendas. Again, I have a daughter who's going to go play um, college lacrosse. And there's a big thing going on right now. There's a, a male swimmer competing against the females and he's dominating them, but he says he is a woman. God's Word says something contrary. The, we have a lot of young families in here who have young kids. You are going to start seeing that and experiencing these kinds of worldviews that are antithetical to the worldview of God and His Word. Are you going to stand firm? Is your faith going to stand up? Like Noah. The good news is, like Noah, Noah had his family. We have his church. We have God's church to encourage one another, to stand up, to exercise saving faith, to be able to speak the truth of the gospel and God's worth with grace and truth. But the war is right at our doorstep right now. And for some, it's gotten into living rooms. Is your faith going to be able to stand up? It will if it's in the true God. Informed by God's Word, empowered by God's Spirit. Secondly, let's look at the second half of this. Chapter 11, 8 through 22. Persevering faith from the patriarchs. Now there's a lot of details in here and we're going to just hit the peaks of this because we want to keep the main thought. We want to hold the line, so to speak, of what the author is trying to bring forth. And he's talking about persevering faith. And here we know when we look back in Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham was present, was um, um, called out for a couple things. One, he was going to inherit land and he was going to have uh, be a great nation. Those are the two promises that God gave him. And Hebrews 11 eight says this, By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as inheritance. 
and he went out not knowing where he was going. That's the land promise. And in verse 11, we have the, the great nation promise. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she was since she considered him to be faithful who he had promised. I want you to mark that in your mind because we're going to come back to that right there. Abraham and Sarah were called out by God to go to a foreign land. They were called out out of their life of comfort, out of their life of security, out of their lifestyle that, that brought them joy and sustenance. They were called out from that. They were to leave the land of Ur to go to an unknown land and to become a people of promise. And if that wasn't enough to walk through by faith, by leaving everything, just imagine that. God called you to leave everything behind and called you to a foreign land. Could you go? That would be a, that would be a trial and an act of faith in and of itself that they obeyed. But we see in the Hebrews eleven seventeen, 17, we, we might see the greatest act of faith in all the Bible. That Abraham and Sarah were to sacrifice their only son. Hebrews eleven seventeen by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Incredible amount of persevering faith. But again, we see that this is what the whole chapter is about. It's about persevering faith. We're going to see it this week and next week. Men and women believing in the promises of God. Believing in His Word because of who He is. Even though the outcomes are unseen. Abraham and Sarah didn't know what the outcomes were. They just said, hey, you follow me. They said, okay, we're going to sell everything, leave everything, and follow you. We don't know what the future holds. It's an unseen promise, but we're going to go because of who you are. They believe the promises of God and His Word. Or also, maybe not fully experienced the full blessing in this life. Hebrews 11.13 These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. It's an incredible amount of persevering faith. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they all persevered in faith because they knew there was something in the future unseen that was better. There was, there was something better than the land that they lived in. They were looking forward to the, the heavenly city that God built, that God promised them. Abraham considered himself just a sojourner. That's why it says it just has tent space. He didn't set up a foundation. They just lived in tents because they were mobile. He was looking at something greater. He knew he was just a sojourner in this land, and he is a citizen in a future heavenly kingdom, and that's what he was looking forward to. Because he believed in God's promises, he looked to a better city. A better city, a better promise that will be fulfilled because it was fulfilled and built by God Himself. Hebrews 11, 10, verse 16. That heavenly city is the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 that He looked forward to. And He also believed in God's promises because He had persevering faith. He could offer up the child of promise, His only son, Isaac. Because He knew that God had to be faithful to His Word. That He says in here that He believed that God could even resurrect His son. There's so much more we could say, but this is the main thought. Abraham, Sarah, and the patriarchs, through their persevering faith, they believed in God's promises, even though it wasn't easy. Even though it wasn't easy. So how can we apply these to our lives quickly? First, all these listed in the hall of faith, all these people 
we know we're not perfect people, right? We know they had their issues with sin. We know they had their issues with doubt. Again, do you remember how Sarah responded here in Hebrews 11? It says that she considered God faithful to His promise. Can we just be reminded, take you back to Genesis chapter 18 when she first heard about this promise, what the Lord said? He said, I'm going to give you this son Isaac in your old age. What did Sarah do? She laughed. She not only laughed at God because she knew it was impossible because she was way back childbirthing, but she then she lied when they, when they caught up. Did you just laugh, Sarah? No, I didn't laugh. So she laughed at God and then she lied to God. She was a doubter and a liar. Abraham gave up Sarah twice to another man in his harem. No, it's not my wife. This is my sister. Go ahead and take her. Do what you want. And we see this all over the Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, but notice that nowhere in Hebrews chapter 11 does God point out these men and women's faults. Why? Because by faith they are righteous. And we've been going through Hebrews and we understand the Gospel. When you repent and trust in God, when by faith you put your, your trust in Him, He remembers your sin no more. All He remembers is your faithfulness. Well, it's so good, is that not? Their sins have been forgiven and forgotten. And all that remains when God looks at Abraham and Sarah and Noah. Noah was a drunkard, right? All he sees is their faithfulness. He sees Christ's righteousness. Hope that encourages you this morning. Because sometimes we read this and be like, oh, these are perfect people. No, 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 they were not perfect people. Just like you and I are not perfect people. We still sin. We still fall. We still doubt. We still lie. We still laugh at God. We still fill in the blank. But if we are in Christ, if we repented of our sins and trusted Him, He remembers our sins no more. Remember, Hebrews says our, our conscience are pure. He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. And when He looks at us, He doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. That's good news this morning for us, friends. Secondly, notice that all these individuals didn't have an easy road. They had their struggles. There was suffering. There was pain. There was turmoil. Things didn't go exactly how they thought they might go. I've seen many people walk away from the faith, which in turn shows that they were never in the faith, but they've walked away from the faith because life got hard. God sent them a trial. Some suffering came in their ways. Life didn't go as they thought it should go. Or, or, or they look at the world and they see the injustices going on. We see the injustices of what happens when, when war breaks out. Innocent people die. We see the injustices of uh, the, the sex slave market. Human trafficking. We, 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 when bad things happen to good people. Not only out there, but then also you bring it closely into your home. When, when bad things happen to people that you love, that I love, that we care about, or even ourselves. We ask and we say these words, why is there suffering in the world if God's a loving world? We might even said this question to ourselves. Why am I going through this? I thought, God, you loved me. Why am I going through this pain? Why am I going through this suffering? And this is where we need to focus on what we've been focusing on first and foremost is our faith comes first and foremost by God's Word. We have to look at God's Word to inform how we respond to these trials. 
Because God has never said to me, to you, to anyone that you will never, ever go through any pain, trials or suffering or persecution. He's never made that promise. And a lot of people put words in God's mouth and they hold him accountable for something that he has never said or promised. Again, he has never said we'd ever go through anything. In fact, his word says the exact opposite. He says you will have tests. You will have trials. You and I will suffer. We will face persecution because if they persecuted his son, Jesus, how much more will they persecute us? So it begins with God's word. We cannot hold God accountable for something he has not said. If if this is the worldview of the way you walk with God, your faith and your life will struggle big time because it's based on a lie. It's based on something that's not there, that's not true. We do a lot of marriage counseling. And this is probably one of the biggest issues with a spouse or spouses. Unmet expectations. Can I get an amen in here? And not only unmet expectations, but one spouse has expectations that they haven't relayed to the other spouse to live out. So this spouse has no idea about the expectations that this spouse has for them. And so when they don't do it, and this spouse comes in and says, why aren't you doing that? They're like, I don't know why. I've never heard that before. And the crazy cycle happens. It's the same with God. We cannot hold God accountable for something He's never promised. But on the flip side, on the good news is, we can hold Him accountable for what He has promised in His Word. And this is what fuels our faith. This is what helps us persevere. This is what helps us endure in trials, in suffering. When we see in a world around us that seems to be burning down, we can have faith knowing that what God has promised will come to pass. We can believe that because He said it. And He is true to His Word. And we build and bank our lives on God's Word and God's promise. And that will fuel our faith to persevere through difficult times. Let me just give you a couple promises. They're all over the Scripture, but let me just rip off these final ones. Number one, Romans 4.3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God by faith, and it was counted to him as righteous. And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What this is saying, the promise is, if you believe that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life in your place, and He died on the cross for your sin, and He rose again three days later. If you believe that, you will be forgiven and considered righteous. There's nothing you can do to earn that righteousness. You earn it by believing in Jesus. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need not one. Every need of yours according to His riches in the glories of Christ Jesus. Isaiah 40.29 He gives power to the faint. And, he, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. Even you shall faint and weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's just a couple things that we need to press into, to walk through, but to believe by faith. And let me lead you with this last promise. It was the interaction with Thomas and Jesus. Remember doubting Thomas? Christ revealed himself to some disciples, but not all the disciples. And Thomas says, I don't believe you because I haven't seen it. Jesus shows up. Thomas touches him. And then Jesus says this in John 20, 29. Blessed are those who don't see, yet believe. May that be our testimony this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself through your word, through Christ. And it's by faith we receive all the rewards and promises. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here that has not done that yet. Lord, they're here for a reason. You're drawing them to yourself. They have tried and tasted the world and what the world has to offer, and they are left with a sour taste in their mouth. Lord, I pray today that they would taste the the sweet treat of Christ and His forgiveness. It's a free gift. It's a gift of grace. And we receive it by responding in faith. Repenting of your sin and trusting what Christ has done for you. And for those of us that have, Lord, I pray that we would, we would walk with a persevering faith. And that, that we, we, we look to those in the past of Abram and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. We'll see next week, we'll see Rahab and, and Moses. And, and, and Lord, we would see how they trusted in You when the world was burning around them. They held strong and You brought them through to a greater inheritance to a greater city, to be a greater people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.